Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. In the end, everything we embrace as people of faith pretty much comes down to, or at least ought to come down to, love. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on Jesus' exchange with the Pharisees on that very subject. It comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46, and it's a message entitled, The Real Deal. Well, there's no pretty way of saying this, so best to come right out with it. Our text for this morning that Gail just shared with us represents a fervent effort to expose Jesus as a fake. That's right, it's true. Our reading this morning from Matthew actually is, in fact, the culmination of several attempts on the part of the religious powers that be of the time, that is, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to question Jesus' authority and to seek to discredit him amongst the people. And in all honesty, looking at it from their perspective, you really couldn't blame them for trying. What we need to remember, see, is that all of this is taking place very soon after Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and amongst cheering crowds. And that in and of itself was a very subversive act. And then if you read on from there, almost immediately you read about how Jesus overturned the tables of money changers in the temple. He goes on from there to curse a fig tree as though to put the whole religious establishment on notice. And then he goes on to tell at least three parables that were in fact thinly veiled denunciations of the so-called righteousness of these powers that be. It is no coincidence then that no sooner had Jesus had finished his teaching, those who would put Jesus to the test started to arrive, and to do so not kindly. Isn't it true after all, to quote the words of Alice McKenzie here, that when those with prestige and position are challenged, when their presuppositions are upturned, that they will react with hostility and fear? We see it all the time in politics, and it was no exception back then. So these scribes and Pharisees better, they reason, to try to trip Jesus up with impossible questions and, and to humiliate him in front of all the people. Better to do that than perhaps actually have to listen to what Jesus is saying and realize that maybe the world and they themselves would have to change because of what Jesus was saying. In other words, this was their plan. If Jesus was made to look like a fake, then he goes away, life goes on, and the status quo, most importantly, the status quo is maintained. And like I said before, folks, I understand this. I get it. I get why they would do that because the truth is, I've lived it. And so, I'm guessing, have you. Speaking pastorally now, 
it's there in the experience of having someone tell you, and I've had this happen so many times over the years, having someone tell you that they'd never go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. <laughs> or else, and this happens a whole lot too, when they let you know that while God is very well and good, and that's fine and everything, that these people have a real problem with organized religion. And it's always at this point that I'm always tempted, but in all honesty, I've never quite dared to reply, well, if you don't like organized religion, why not try our church? Because we haven't managed to get ourselves organized yet. Like I said, I've never quite dared to do that. More seriously, though, I hear it from those who have tended to back themselves away, far away from faith because of all the sorrow and the suffering that goes on in the world. Their question is a valid one, and one that's been asked by people throughout the ages. Why, why, why would a just and loving God ever let that suffering happen? These are people sometimes who look at religion and just see the extreme, and they will say that there are extremists to be found in every kind of religious tradition, and isn't that the problem with the world today? And so they back away. They, don't, they see that as something that they cannot handle all, and they back away from all of it. So friends, I can certainly attest to the fact that in this modern era, just as in everyone that's come before, in all honesty, there will always be those who would seek to put Jesus to the test. People in the midst of the predominant culture and the politics of the time who would look at what it is we believe, what it is we stand for, who we follow, and wonder aloud if it really is the real deal, so to speak, or if there's a way that you can just simply have it go away. What's interesting, you know, is that leading up to our reading today, the Sadducees and Pharisees had been doing their dead level best for exactly that to happen, to have Jesus just go away. First, in order to entrap Jesus, the Pharisees sent their disciples, which is uh, loosely translated as their lackeys, to go and ask Jesus a question about taxes being paid to the emperor. And that's where we get that, uh, that saying from the Bible, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then the Sadducees, who were famous for not believing in the resurrection, came along and their job was to trip Jesus up on a tricky question about what would happen in the afterlife if one widow ended up being married to more than one brother in a family. It, you see, was all about creating a conundrum, an impossible riddle for Jesus to solve. But each and every time they try it, Jesus not only avoids the trap, but does so uh, with theological depth and with finesse. In short, their attempts to print and paint Jesus as nothing but a charlatan and a rabble-rouser, so far had failed miserably. But then, then they decided, why don't we just get to the heart of the matter? This time, the Pharisees would come to Jesus in person and ask him a single question. One that, by the way, 
happened to be a pretty common topic amongst the faithful of Jesus' time. Teacher, one of them asked, and by the way, you have to know that the title of teacher was dripping with what is often referred to these days as snark. You know, teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? It was the perfect question, at least as far as the Pharisees were concerned. They figured, you see, that whatever commandment that Jesus chose, they could then assume that apparently Jesus didn't care much about the other nine. And so then they could proclaim to everyone in Jerusalem that not only was this Jesus a flagrant commander breaker, but a blasphemer as well. <laughs> Truthfully, I have to imagine that at the end of this proclamation, they probably would end with their own first century Palestinian version of, we're your scribes and Pharisees, and we have approved this message. Simply put, they figured no matter how Jesus responded, they'd have the goods on him at last. But then Jesus answered the question, and the answer was brilliant. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This, Jesus says, is the greatest and first commandment. And by the way, it kind of, well, pretty much sums up the first five of the Ten Commandments. Covering false worship, idols, taking God's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath, and honoring one's parents. That all sort of falls into that general category of loving God. But Jesus is not done. Then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that, when you think about it, pretty well covers the second five commandments. That is lying, stealing, coveting, adultery, false witness, and murder. Thus bringing all ten commandments into one razor-sharp focus. Or as Jesus concludes... On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I would have loved to have been there to see the Pharisees' reaction. Because whether they were willing to admit it or not, Jesus had not only avoided the trap they'd set for him, he'd also answered their question correctly. Deep down, even the scribes and Pharisees knew that Jesus was right. The Pharisees, remember, were all about the law, specifically following the law to the letter. And to be fair to them, following the law to the letter was for them an act of great and pious faith. But now, here's Jesus to remind them at the heart of all that law and deep in the midst of its interpretation and practice, is to be found one simple truth, and that one simple truth is love. Loving God and loving people. In the words of Hillel, an ancient teacher of the Jewish faith, it's all about loving God and loving people. The rest, he wrote, is commentary. Every law, every rule, 
every custom and tradition we have, every act of piety we embrace as people of faith pretty much comes down to, or at least ought to come down to, love. And it's love, you see, that ultimately reveals Jesus and our Christian faith as the real deal, as something neither fake nor transitory nor empty in the face of the struggles of this world, but rather, in fact, that which is, as we hear in the other Gospels, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I know that as we look at this story, it all kind of comes off as a pretty basic tenet of our Christian faith, right? I mean, if it isn't, that is, if our faith isn't all about loving God and loving our neighbor, then what is it that we really stand for as Christians or as the church? But the fact is, this story of the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees' challenges to Jesus actually raises for each one of us an important issue. And that's whether or not we really understand how central love is to who we are and what we do. Because in truth, the reason that there are many out there who are suspicious of our faith and suspicious of those of us who espouse faith is they don't always see or feel or experience the love through us or in us. I love that famous quote from Mahatma Gandhi. I like your Christ, he was heard to say, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now that sounds very harsh, and it is. But how are we ever to convey to the world the truth of our Christian faith if we ourselves are not the real deal where love is concerned? The late Marcus Borg, the renowned biblical scholar and theologian, once wrote that so often we have made being Christian very complex, as if it's all about just getting our doctrines right. But being Christian, Borg said, is actually very simple, even breathtakingly simple. And basically it comes down to this. Being Christian is about loving God and loving what God loves. And what God loves is the world. Not just you and me, Borg wrote, not just Christians not even just human beings, but the whole of creation. Being Christian is about our working with God to become that kind of person. Understanding, of course, that we're not talking about love in a passive sense, but love actively. Doing what we can do to be about the business of God's love in the world bringing light into darkness, lifting up the fallen and bringing them hope, doing justice in the places and amongst the people where the power of politics and the po politics of power just seems to reign supreme. It's about living unto the love we have for God by letting it be transformed into the love we share for others. It's a simple thought, certainly where the law and the prophets are concerned, as well as the mission of the church, and, and might I add, our own Christian walk, yours and mine. It's where everything starts, and it's on which its success truly hinges. Now, you may have noticed that there is a brief postscript to our reading this morning. 
in which Jesus essentially turns the tables on the Pharisees by offering up a test of his own. The question has to do with the Pharisees' interpretation of whose son the Messiah is supposed to be. And the exchange ends on a rather ominous note. No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone else dare to ask him any questions. It was kind of exchange that those involved in the art of debate live for. You know, it's kind of a drop the mic moment, as it were. It was the final definitive statement that shuts down all further argument. Now, of course, we know the gospel story, and we understand that once the Pharisees had retreated, the inevitable plan for Jesus' death had already begun to unfold. So in a larger sense, the ending of these tests signaled the beginning of something even more crucial. Actually, read on in Matthew, and it's all there. Will we keep our lamps burning in anticipation for the kingdom of come? Will we be investing our talents for the sake of the master? Will we feed the hungry? Will we clothe the naked? Will we visit the imprisoned? Will we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, loving God by doing so? And will we walk with Jesus, even when that walk inevitably leads to the cross? Will our faith, our love, and our loyalty be as fleeting as that of the disciples when they scattered on that night of betrayal and desertion? Or will people see in us true faith and know that we have been and always are the real deal where faith is concerned? Seems to me that's a test of a whole different sort. So let us pray this morning that as the test unfolds in our own lives this week and in these strange times we're in, that we'll be able to say that we passed. So might it be. And thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, The Real Deal. And it was recorded for our October the 25th online service of worship at East Church in Concord, New Hampshire. By the way, you can always join us live for our online services of worship by logging on to Facebook Live on our East Church Facebook page each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. As these days of pandemic continue, we're finding great value in coming together this way, and we'd really love to have you be a part of it. And with that, we're at the end of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and not only do I thank you for listening today, I also want to say thank you for your continued support of this podcast. I know that there are a lot of you out there who listen regularly, and I really do appreciate it. So until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.